0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
1: Did you know that over 85% of cybersecurity breaches happen due to human error? Employees at organizations across the world are too often looked at as the problem instead of the solution. The Living Security Human Risk Management Platform leverages behavioral science, gamification, and a Hollywood-style production to provide training that is 16 times more effective than its competitors. Living Security can help your organization turn your biggest asset, your people, into your best defense against cybersecurity breaches. Check out Living Security by visiting livingsecurity.com to learn more. Thank you, Living Security, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. One term you've probably heard before is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But what if the person that looks at this beauty has many skills and they find beauty in many areas? Where do they focus? And my answer, it would be cybersecurity. And that exactly describes our guest this episode. We speak to Grace Chi. Grace is the COO and co-founder of Pulse Dive and has many skills, is multi-talented, and is focused on building out a threat intelligence company in cybersecurity. We're sure you'll love this episode. So let's jump right into it
2: what's going on everybody you're in the hacker valley studio with your hosts ron and chris
1: yes sir welcome back to the show Glad to be back again. This is a long overdue episode with a guest we've been wanting to speak to for such a time. In the studio today, we have Grace Chi. Grace is the co-founder and COO of Pulse Dive. Grace, we had a scoping call with you a while back. We learned that you are multi-talented. I can't wait to jump into those parts of the conversation, but welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Great to be here and glad we made it happen. This has been six months in the making, I think, at this
2: point. It has been a minute in the making. And I've been so excited for this conversation because you're someone who's creative, you're technical, and you're doing things in the world of cybersecurity. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
0: Absolutely. And I love being clueless and having to force. Myself to learn new things, which is why security <laughs> is a great space for us and and for me and anybody like me. I am the co-founder and COO of Pulse Dive, as Ron mentioned. Pulse Dive is a threat intelligence startup. We are bootstrapped. We're U.S. based, but we have users all over the world. And as far as my responsibilities, I call it everything but the code. So, as we're scaling, as we're growing, as we're bringing on new customers, as we're launching new products, I'm kind of Playing the the whole bench and wearing all the hats that are needed and quickly picking things up and dropping off different projects and tasks from both like a day to day basis to a recurring monthly basis to large scale quarterly initiatives.
2: I knew we had to have you on the podcast to talk about your business and all the things you're doing in cybersecurity, but it wasn't until we saw the additional creative side that you had, that art side, the modeling side, that made this a mandatory episode. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and being a creative and, and how that interplays with your life today?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll start a little bit back at the beginning. Um, I was always artistic and, and this is a funny story. It was my parents psychologically manipulated me into committing to art um, in a very,
2: <laughs> not
0: not in a malicious way, but when I was younger, Obviously, loving parents, great support, but they wanted me to do things at good, like extracurriculars, right? And so they would put me in piano class, they would put me in uh, sports, and I hated it. I was a grumpy kid. I was like, I don't want to do any of this. Had a little <laughs> hissy fit. Hated going. You know, dragged my feet. And so, you know, my mom, great for her, was like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to do this. You don't like it. You don't want to perform. Whatever. Pick something you want and try it. And and that was it. And I I picked art. I like. Pulled it out of a hat, or maybe I had a predisposition. But, you know, as a parent, it was brilliant because I had to commit myself. So it was my pride on the line. And I started that around maybe four or five. And some members of my family were artistic, but I took to it. I stuck with it. I continued taking classes in high school. I would take extracurricular classes. I would take the AP classes. I would still draw every day. All my notes in school were basically doodles. And I would sometimes get in trouble for drawing, quote unquote, in class, but it was actually how I would take notes and and think and and write and learn content but the really interesting thing is like I won most artistic in you know the yearbook the cheesy pictures the superlatives but I was like okay so this is my career I took a pre-college art class and I hated it I I was surprised I was shocked at how little I liked being at an art school and being forced to take art classes and that had really let me learn early. And it's something I learned often since that the US education system and just the way the world works often tries to like slot you into this linear progression. And I was so bad at that. I I loved art, but I didn't want an art career. I loved volunteering, but I also loved growing my own businesses and finding opportunities to make money. I loved being creative, but I also loved working with really technical people. So that kind of snowballed over and over again when I went to college, when I started working and, and, you know, every day now as well.
1: One of the things that Chris always says is he is a creative stuck in a technologist body. And <laughs> luckily for him, and also for me, we now have an opportunity to be more creative at work with the podcast, with video content, and just doing more on a creative side. How are you able to flex that creative muscle now being the COO of Pulse Dive?
0: At the most concrete level, when you get to run your own company, anytime I think, hmm, me being creative can benefit the brand, the company, our users, I get to do that. So like one day I was feeling a little bit stale working probably on legal or accounting or something that just doesn't (laughs) rile me up. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but (laughs) it just drains me, right? And I was like, you know what? I've had this little idea in the back of my mind to to make a new type of sticker. And you know how security people love their Mm -hmm. swag. So I went and I just designed it. I had a painting ready, you know, I modified it. I put it to print with given my past experience in marketing and I put it out there and people loved it. So like at the most basic level, I get to look at how the product design is designed. I, I get to write things. I get to work on case studies with our users and I get to apply kind of creative approaches at a different level, I think creativity unlocks lateral thinking and drawing from outside of the direct experience. So like I'm looking at Chewy, the company, and we're thinking, wow, that's, that's a great way. That's a way to support customers and have a delight in the experience. How do we apply that? So I think that creativity takes a lot of different forms.
2: You know, when I think about beauty, it has so many different definitions and maybe even different definitions for each person. When I look at things like your Instagram, so many of the images are so striking. I mean, they really stand out and they tell a different story. I'm sure different stories for each person that's watching it, right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So I'd love to hear like the concept of taking beauty, is it you injecting beauty into something? Or is it you highlighting the beauty of something, especially when it comes to something like cybersecurity? When people think of cybersecurity, we think of function, we think of practicality, but we rarely think about how beautiful something is. So bringing a a bit of that aspect into cybersecurity, is that something that was intentional? Or is that just a byproduct of who you are?
0: I will say that the modeling and the kind of creative photography not everyone knows about. So just just to briefly intro this, um, I have been doing fantasy cosplay type. Uh, not quite high fashion, but like very out there, wild outfits, type photography, wigs, colored contacts, wings, ever since I was about 18. And I fell into that simply because of an opportunity, like the way the world works, lots, lots of opportunities, you just have to be prepared to say yes. What I love about that side, and I try to do that at least four times a year, but sometimes work is hard and busy, so I don't get to, is that it, More than necessarily beauty, it's about being really uncomfortable. I'm not day to day, a very feminine person. I don't care too much about clothes or makeup, but to be in front of a camera and have to know your angles and be really serious and hold your body in these really ridiculously uncomfortable positions while like water's rushing up your pants. (laughs) And like, you have to pretend that this is great. And you're freezing cold. Like that itself is what I enjoy the most about modeling because it is so different from what I do. It's very physical. It's a lot of focus and it's a lot about my own posture words when I'm working, it's more like on my mental side or my creativity process side. So I would actually say that for me, the beauty in working in a startup and working with all these users is not necessarily the aesthetic beauty. It's about beauty in like th- making things efficient, making things work, finding that customer fit or having that user like reach out. You don't even know who they are and they're like thank you so much for what you're doing.
1: I can relate to that. My perspective of beauty and cybersecurity and really many things in life is automation. When I see something yeah. go from being complex or many steps to being just ver- something very simple to one step, I love it. I think it's the most beautiful thing ever in technology. What is the beautiful thing for you in technology and cybersecurity?
0: So this is very much like a microcosm of the beauty that we try to apply in the user experience. But we are extremely user experience focused and customer delight focused, even though we are not designers right now, but, you know, always looking for good ideas. But the small moments where if somebody like doesn't even know that they can click something and then they open something and a preview window pops up and they don't navigate to another tab or, you know, it allows them to pivot really quickly when they're doing analysis for an indicator of compromise. And we hear that and we see those like kind of success metrics over and over. That to us is beautiful and to the user, it makes them happy. And that is where we shine. One example of how I see beauty or inefficiency in success and in, in, in operationalization is like when I was in college, I actually studied a double major of neuropsychology. So behavioral neuroscience and art history. And everyone had thought, oh, art history, it's because you you like art, you like drawing. And it was only about 5% of the fact that it was actually visual, beautiful art. For me, it was about understanding why people paid for art, why there were rich people who wanted to create something with a political or socioeconomic agenda for these patrons and how that artist fit in. So really understanding why things happen, who gets impacted and how, that led into my love of the discipline of marketing and then also understanding users today.
2: You know, I love that we're all capturing these different definitions of beauty because beauty for me really roots back to my background in humanities. That's what I got my degree in. I was largely a philosophy major and my thing was language, the way prose was written, different things like that. And then so when you go into things like threat intelligence, the way someone can make a prediction or an assessment or bring together these disparate points of information into a cohesive story is something that's mind boggling to me. So when you talk about beauty and cybersecurity, I wonder what are some of the things that you see, even from a marketing standpoint? What are some of the things that people are doing well from a marketing standpoint? And what are some things we, you think we need to let go of?
0: It's funny because marketing is one of the areas that gets poo-pooed on, sometimes for good reason. A lot of times it's just stigma because you remember the worst. Sales is another one of them where nothing is inherently evil, but when it's not executed well, there's a lot of tension between practitioners and the business side of things, let's say. And I think that that's entirely just a cultural issue that does not need to exist. And that's part of the the bridge I do try to gap in my current role, knowing that, hey, we need sales, we need marketing, but we also are very practitioner focused. So looking at, in terms of beauty, first off, cybersecurity marketing budgets are insane. And so there's a lot of really beautiful artwork. Sometimes it's a lot of the same, but there's a lot of creative approaches. I believe at some conferences, I won't name any names, but a lot of money and time was spent into creating anthropomorphic versions of threat groups and threat actors. And so there is a lot of creativity being driven. And I think there's board games being made to help deliver key messages and tabletop exercises. There's comic books. And I absolutely love that the community comes together to take cybersecurity into different creative forms. But where I do think we need to let go of security marketing in many ways is to all the FUD, it's known, but all of the FUD, as well as all of the playing under ambiguity In order to try to almost not quite confuse your prospect, but to get further along the cycle before being transparent about what you can offer. And I know people are going to listen and say, well, but then we'll never get anywhere. But I think like at least from Pulse Dive, which is a very grassroots, very organically growing company, being transparent, we've gotten many fold the kind of gratefulness, understanding about our pricing, about what we can do, about what we can't do, but what's on our radar, um, about how we can partner and what we're willing to, to work on that has ended up paying multitudes off in different ways that are a little bit less direct than like a sale tomorrow that we continue and hope to continue building out.
1: One of the things I wanted to circle back on is cybersecurity. You mentioned that you had an early start in music, then ultimately went on to college and focused on art history and also neuropsychology. You've done some marketing, you've done some operations. Where does cybersecurity fit in? Like, how did you get into cybersecurity and, and, you know, what was your love for it?
0: Yeah, my falling into cybersecurity was very much so like I was just driving along, doing my thing, trying to figure out what I wanted in my life. And, you know, something just picked me up and threw me over a cliff. And that opportunity was when an executive for a company I was working at had angel invested in an Israeli started MDR back when MDR was brand new. I had not touched cyber. I do not have an IT degree. I'm very open about that. And I appreciate all the allies and the friends who accept that about me instead of gatekeeping. Right. And I had a moment where I was like, I don't know anything. What is cybersecurity? I had only had the most superficial understanding. So other than like a ton of Googling, because Googling is how you do jobs <laughs> these days, I reached out to everyone in my network and I'm like, what blogs do I read? Who should I follow? Okay, Krebs, that's cool. Where? Who else should I look at? What companies do I need to look at while I was doing product marketing for this startup? And so I built a competitive landscape. I was doing industry research, market research. I was thinking about the types of collateral and building use cases, all the kind of typical product marketing things from the launch, understanding the product technically. And I was like, wow, this world is really terrifying and really cool. And everything I'd worked in up until that point was more of a legacy industry, like architecture, construction, supply chain. There's technology and there's innovation taking place, but the industry is established. Whereas cybersecurity, you're like flying by the seat of your pants. Your your adversaries and the landscape is changing. The technology is changing. The internet's changing, and it was just something so different, and it tickled this side of me on two levels. One. Because the people in it are exactly just people. I'm comfortable. I'm nerdy. I'm weird. You know, like we we have a thousand Pokemon in the house. You know, like it just it just was a very. Safe place for me to be who I was authentically, which is something important to me. And the other side was, I always kept getting bored. I always wanted to learn something. I felt like my role was too small at my jobs. Feel like I could learn, and that I didn't want ten years down the line to be doing just the same thing I was doing, but be more well paid and you know more listened to with a bigger team. And Cyber just offered that to me, and still does every day, absolutely every day. Pair that with startups, and you know, I, I'm I'm hopelessly enjoying every day.
2: You know, what it sounds like to me is that what really happened was that you started to gain additional freedom because now you were able to be yourself in this new role, you know, building your own company. You're able to learn the things that you wanted to learn and bring everything all together. I'd love to hear a story about you bringing this whole cohesive picture of yourself into the workplace, into the cybersecurity community. And what's something that's interesting that's happened since you started?
0: So a couple thoughts that I have here. One is I've always loved working with people that were extremely talented and smart, but that I could fill a complementary gap. And that's where I really feel like I shine and I love like the pulse dive in, in the community in security in general, where there's sometimes difficulty in communication, understanding business value of, you know, taking findings that have been worked on for so long by teams and how do you bring that up or how do you fight for the resources you need and and how do you move up in your career personally as well. And so that's something where just like every day, just being surrounded by different people who have different requirements and we're like teaching each other is very exciting. You had asked where's one place where this has all come together where I can be myself and do things that are good for the community, do things that are also good for Paul Dive. This summer I presented at the Diana Initiative. Are you familiar with the conference? A- absolutely. Yep. So I presented about threat intelligence careers and why it was so important to me to participate is because in my, probably having talked to 2000 and engaged with like 5,000 different security people, only once have I been in a room with only women on the like client side. Right. And that, that stuck with me, and I could probably name the amount of Asian women on like one hand, maybe two hands, that I've interacted with. And I understand there's a long history here, and I just wanted to... Take all the findings and the insights that I've met just by working with all these different levels and experts in security and threat intelligence in particular and uh, like level the playing field and provide resources. So I presented on threat intelligence careers, how you can pivot uh, some resources and, you know, what the industry is about, where the challenges are, debunking some myths and also giving some examples of great stories from from other folks who have moved into the field and are finding a lot of success. In addition to being able to take all my kind of unique insights from the inside, working with like as a vendor with all these different customer and user teams all over the world, I I also threw in last minute before the presentation, this little like almost like intermissions while I was asking engaging questions, showing these like ridiculous little plants and art pieces I was making. And that resonated with the audience. And the fact that that had resonated, I could be really weird and show like my like one inch aloe vera plant and my uh, (laughs) plants versus zombie perler in a clay pot. And that that was cool and that people liked it because it was showing that you can be diverse in so many different ways and still fit in and still find success. That was like a, a highlight of my summer.
1: I love that you mentioned leveling the playing field. I think that's so important. When Chris and I first got started in cybersecurity, there weren't a lot of opportunities unless you knew someone, unless you had a mentor, you were referred by someone or had a degree, which there wasn't a lot of cybersecurity degrees back then. But the fact that you're leveling the playing field and promoting that is amazing. And you also have a company to do that now. And you've worked at several companies in the past. As you start to build out your, your organization Pulse Dive, what are some of the tenants that you're gonna look for and promote to continue to level the playing field for people to get into cybersecurity?
0: Yeah, in addition to just translating our findings to and seeing who's been successful, what makes them successful and sharing that with the community, one thing we're very big on is just transparency. And that means also being an ally if when I was getting started, my very first, you know, foray that I mentioned, somebody was like, oh, you can't do cyber or like even, you know, unintentionally just creating more friction, more tension as I was trying to learn and get in, that could have stopped me. Right. It's just I had a lot of opportunities, didn't have to go to cyber, especially if, you know, you do not feel welcome. And that's somewhere where like I give Dan, who's the founder and the CEO of Pulse, I have a lot of credit because we were talking, he was one of the friends I had actually reached out to being like, what do I do? I have to learn about security and gave me a lot of resources in his opinion because it, he had a more traditional security background. He was a great ally because he's like, Grace, you you can learn this. Like, You're clearly very smart. He asked me for opinions and then he invited me to join Pulse Dive as it was growing beyond you know what he was working on nights, weekends in his basement and had a growing group of people, users, depending on it. And so I think that being an ally, and I mean that in every sense of the word, and being very intentionally and proactively inclusive, and that's not just by specific demographics, but by personality types, by backgrounds, by perspectives, is something that we try to call each other out on all the time. And so when something happens that's a little bit racist or sexist or anything, mis- misogynistic towards me, we come together and dance never stopped from telling me something that happened, even if it was just to him in a a closed room. And we would debrief, talk about our approach and also think about what we do next time or how we can support other people where we might come across that situation.
2: You know, I'm glad you mentioned allyship. We're doing another season of We Are Here. We're gonna be focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have several nods to allyship. And really what allyship is all about is supporting other people, supporting each other, bringing the community together. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about humanity. I'd love to hear a story about the humanity in cybersecurity. Maybe a story that you have where you have exhibited some of that allyship or perhaps even some of that beauty in humanity.
0: It's funny as you're talking, I immediately thought of Dorothy. I love Dorothy. So in It was either March or April of this year, I participated in Share the Mic in Cyber. And that is typically a one-day event where there are Black practitioners and then cyber allies of all sorts, usually with some sort of following, some sort of footing in the field. But the um, Black practitioners can be of any sorts and stripes. Did you guys participate in this?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I was one of the participants.
0: Yeah, I expected nothing less. So (laughs) I got connected with Dorothy. And Dorothy moved into being a intelligence type of analyst, and she pivoted quite a few times in her career as well. So we we got along from the very first conversation we had. And so she had moved from audio engineering into learning about technology, working to a pharmacy tech, and then applying that and being really persistent. In pursuing cyber. Even when she got an internship not related to cyber, she networked and she she was able to forge her own path, knowing that security was, you know, a role in intelligence specifically was what she wanted. And one of the things that I thought was beautiful is when I was talking to her, she said, when I started in security, I was surprised because I had expected more diversity because I had known so many women and folks of color in security that she like started working and realized that that wasn't the case. And I'm like, how could you possibly have had that misconception, right? Because by the numbers, that is a misconception. And it was because she was part of Empower Her and part of a lot of different organizations that were actively supporting, um, had allies ship across new entrants in the security space. And that was beautiful to me. And that was exactly the type of support community enablement even um that you don't always think will make an impact or you know i know some people might not believe in it but that helped get her confidence helped give her a cohort helped give people that she felt safe talking to and, and getting support from as she was beginning in your career. And in cyber, it's tough for everybody. So that was deeply moving and reminded me and remotivated me to participate.
1: It makes me think and wonder, what areas are we missing? One of the shocking things that we learned after starting the podcast is that we have listeners in over 130 countries. And With that being said, it was kind of eye-opening. It was like, all right, we know how to really inspire people in the United States. We know how to inspire people that are of color, or of a minority group. But I'm sure there's areas that we're not looking at that we have an opportunity to inspire and empower others to get into the field of technology or just be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be. Are there any areas that come to mind for inspiring others that we're not thinking of today?
0: One, I wish I could remember the name of the organization. I'll have to like look it up and send you the link after. But one that I knew on a very like back of the mind level, but I talked to somebody from one of the conferences actually was it was called like it it was a play on the word internship and it was for different ex-professionals who had to take a leave of absence for any reason, whether that was raising a child, whether it was because you were caretaking for an elder or a family member, and the difficulty that they face coming back. I know there's also a lot of veteran groups as well that take on a same, like, how can you provide opportunities and provide resources for someone coming from, like, outside of the traditional has worked in a you know, corporate job and looking for a job in security or any sort of technology field. And so that was something I had not thought of too much. But then I realized that we're sitting on so much potential talent that is trained, that has a lot of understanding of how to work with people, EQ, IQ, uh, capability for self-learning, capability for working and managing up and down that we're missing. And they end up sometimes not coming back because they can't find that opportunity for that company or or folks who are hiring. So that was, I have to find that name now. It's bothering me.
2: (laughs) No, definitely. Yeah. Include it. And we'll we'll drop it into the show notes. You know, we've talked a lot about beauty and beauty being in the eye of the beholder. And this is going to sound cliche, but I truly believe that there's beauty in each and every one of us. Sometimes we just have to find a way to bring it out for everybody else to see. And also from the aspect of being in the cyber security community. There's beauty there. There's beauty in cyber. There's beauty in our skill sets. What piece of advice would you have for someone that is interested in cybersecurity, but they don't see the beauty yet? They just see the hard parts. They just see the things that they're not good at just yet. How would you advise someone to find the beautiful side of cybersecurity?
0: I think here, just because I'm familiar with some of your previous work, Chris, we're going to be on the same page. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two things, and this is, the first is just professionally, like always understand context. What I see when there's a lot of burnout from practitioners, probably between like one to three to four years of experience in cyber is that you get tunnel vision because there's alert fatigue, or there's like a lot of just really minuscule work that you feel like you can't complete and truly oftentimes... You just cannot finish all the things on your task list. Being in a startup is the same way. You will never get to everything you want to do. So you just have to learn how to prioritize. But when you're working in, let's say, a security operations team, understanding what the management needs or what the business needs, that's where you get clarity and can then pick and choose what you need to do and not just all the things that you have to do or you're supposed to do. The second component, and Oh, going back to you, I was going to say that's really understanding your stakeholders, right? I'm thinking yeah. about your framework that you pushed out a few years ago, and <laughs> I remember looking at it before and then thinking about it again, which I think applies to really any 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 work area hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent The second component is where there's so much beauty and sometimes a little ugliness, but if you find the beauty, it'll help you is in the spirit of the cybersecurity, especially intelligence professionals. You can't do it alone. A lot of the challenge facing smaller companies, especially now, is that they cannot stand up their own intelligence team. They cannot afford the best in class current intelligence um, feeds and and software. So you, you have to band together. And it's a bit disjointed. There's a lot of really interesting coalitions formed and a lot of trust groups out there. And it's, hard it's it's not a solved problem by any means but when you have people who are thinking about you whether because they're in your same industry or you know you're investigating the same threat actor or you're even just struggling focusing on how to configure your security orchestration automation you know tool the right way your store tool the right way it is beautiful and i think that's the spirit that i really love in cyber where At the end of the day, most people are very willing to work with each other. You give value, you get value. And it's what I think of as like networking in the truest and most authentic sense of the term. And you need that. You cannot be an island when you're working in intelligence.
2: 100%. I couldn't agree more about working together, everybody coming together as a society, as a community, and doing the good work together together. Grace, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us and giving us a masterclass on finding the beauty in cybersecurity. For all the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing with your company, what are the best ways that people can do that?
0: You can follow us on Twitter at Pulsedive. Um, It's P-U-L-S-E-D-I-V-E. (laughs) There's no extra R's or it's not two words. There's no random caps. It's just straight up pulse dive. And same on LinkedIn. You can also follow me uh, at Euphoric Fall on Twitter or at Grace SG on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent. And thanks for spelling that out too. It's always nice to have that 100% correct. We'll be sure to drop all of those links and resources in the show notes. Everyone can stay up to date with you and we will see everyone next time.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: found value in this content it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee thank you